0: Good morning, good afternoon, good night, my dears. Welcome to the Worldwide Podcast Syrian Edition. Before introducing our guest, I just want to ask, how is Guilher? How's he going, bro? Hey, 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 guys!
1: It's all good. I've been getting some new friends in here. Our our amazing guest from Northern Ireland. He came here just a few days because he fell in love with a Brazilian girl from portugal and he's always, always, always oh like once a month i gotta go back to portugal and i gotta go back to northern ireland at least <laughs> it's been good it's been good but uh yeah i'm so excited for this podcast because we're gonna have syria and a good friend of mine from croatia george how are you introduce yourself hey. to the to the listeners
2: yeah, so thank for you. Thank you guys for having me. So my name is George. I am Syrian in origin, born and raised in the south of Syria. However, I have been in Germany almost seven years by now. So I would say I have views on the East and the West life. How is different, I would say.
1: Hmm. So, when, when did you actually go to Germany? Uh, at what age?
2: I went to Germany around 19 years old. I wanted to complete my like dentistry school of dentistry studies here. Wow. Um, because it's like a, it's a hub for so many students, especially out of the Arabic countries like Egypt, Syria. A lot of them go there to be specialized in dentistry or pharmaceutical studies or medicine because it's cheap. You don't have to pay anything compared to the US compared to other countries. And there's a lot of support and good reputation, I would say, on German universities. Mm,
1: I've heard it's an amazing or the best country in Europe for international students across all of the world. There's a great hub, especially Berlin, I've been told. Are you in uh, Berlin or did you go study in in another city of Germany?
2: I started my, uh, I started actually international business. I switched from medicine to international business and I studied around Stuttgart, the city of cars, if you know, in the south of Germany. Mm. And yeah, I have been there and now I am located already also in Stuttgart. I didn't didn't leave the south since like four years. (laughs) You love Oktoberfest,
1: just for (laughs) (laughs) Oktoberfest.
2: I (laughs) think I love Oktoberfest. It just happened, I
1: think like two days ago or something.
2: Exactly, that's true. Um,
1: by the way, that, that is a big jump from medicine to international studies. Why did you yeah. make the
2: change? That's, that's like I a would, whole different... I would say medicine is just so much, so much pain, so much memorizing, so much hours of studying. You don't have any life. You don't have any relationships. You are never done even after six years. Every year is new learning. Every month is a new learning for you. So I switched to something easier, I would say. <laughs>
1: And that you can get money probably faster as well. That's the only thing That's about...
2: True. Like, in order to
1: be a medic or a, or a pharmaceutical or those jobs that work n- normally for the state, you have to really like it. Like, you really sure, want to yeah. help people. I mean, João, João's girlfriend, uh, fiance, <laughs> uh, he can probably talk more about that, but uh, yeah, you yeah, really I mean, she... need or have that heart in you to continue because it's so many hours. The pay is good. But I mean, international studies, yeah, you can have a business, yeah. have a project and earn like what you earn as a doctor in probably one year. So,
0: And it's hard even for the relationship. I mean, like if you're a partner of a medical and a doctor, it's crazy. I mean, all the free time she's at hospital and kind of stuff. So you you got to do your path sometimes alone. But it's, it's all about, you know, all about getting to love, all about getting adopted on it. So, yeah.
2: Exactly. Just what I mentioned. Getting used to. (laughs) Just what I mentioned about like the medicine studies. It's a big thing in Syria. So it's like India or like other Eastern countries. So the top dogs are doctors and engineers all the time. And some maybe PhD students or like professors at the university and everything comes after. So you will meet a lot of Syrians who are like aiming to be a doctor and that you will see it like very obvious compared to German um, population to compare to European population, I would say.
0: Pretty cool, pretty cool. There was a, um, a program between Portuguese embassy and Syrian embassy during the war that there was a kind of draft students for going to Portugal and study whatever they wanted. So they were giving scholarships for Syrians. And there was a good friend that was living with me. Shout out to Tariq. (laughs) <laughs> he's a good friend of mine uh it's been a great time with him right there in Portugal he got on one of the scholarships to go there and he started studying uh, biology mixing of biology with uh pharmaceuticals and kind of stuff you know so so yeah you guys are always aiming all those doctors and pharmaceutical things and and kind of stuff but tarik is an amazing person shout out to tarik if he he's listening to this episode <laughs> pretty good pretty good guy
1: oh that's amazing did you ever f- thought about relocating yourself maybe to the north or um, to, to berlin or do you really like the south of of germany
2: i would say i'm not a big fan of mega cities i have lived myself in damascus damascus is like 12 million 13 million city by wow. now i would say really so, <laughs> Yes, that's huge. Really. So, so I got like an off feeling of big cities. I don't want to establish a new life in a big city. Okay, to go there maybe for one two years, yeah, maybe, but not establishing any life or any family life there in the future. So I will stay in the south. I would say
1: <laughs> that's that's actually a topic that I wanted to talk about, Damascus, because I don't know why I've always been told it's an inhabited city, or was it that just for a few years really back in the day because it is it's the oldest what? capital in the world like an inhabited city uh, I guess it's because it's very old and back in the day it wasn't used but then it when Syria started to become an actual civilization then it actually became um, a usable city but it I is think- like the oldest which is insane to think
2: they say they claim it's one of the oldest or the oldest because there is this claim between us and between iraqi people and mm. because all these civilizations they were there there was they had a good climate good connection to all the continents so if you keep it in mind we have asia europe and africa we are in the center point for all of these continents and i think back in the day they started on the mediterranean and then moved back inside now where it's lebanon nowadays that was. Back in the day, a whole unit of Levante countries. If you heard of the term Levante,
1: hmm. okay, oh,
0: never, never heard so of that's it.
1: when it was all glued to the same thing. Wasn't that, Assyria, uh, a Syria or is it, that or did...
2: exactly a exactly. Syria?
1: Do you know why I know that, Jean? Or you maybe also, also know story. impulsive. <laughs>
0: The I'm positive, the host right. George. Yeah. Actually,
1: George as well. He's called George. He's from, from Syria. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. from A yeah. Syria yeah. sure, sure. because he's always mentioning, oh, my country doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but he like when he actually says the country that he's from, it's from um, I think he says Iraq or Iran. I'm not so sure. It's one of those. I think it's uh Iraq, Iraq, yeah. But uh, but it is very interesting how you can be from a country that doesn't exist anymore. Because their culture is is still from uh, Assyria in many times.
2: I Uh, mean, Assyria, they have been like a predominant um, civilization there. They had their own language, their own religion. They were like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about this info here, but they were praying to some god of sun, the same with the pharaohs, but in a different way of methodologies. And thereafter, Christianity came and Islam came, and they were so getting smaller and smaller. And now I think we have only 200, 300,000 Assyrians out of 25 million population. Oh, wow. But they still speak their language. That's a big, big wow. thing still. Yeah. yeah how but
0: how different is it?
2: I would say, billion. I like fr- pronunciation. There is some similarities, but I wouldn't stand right. anything. There is nothing, think, there is right. no base. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, the, the language in Syria is it uh, Arab or is it another type of, of language? It's Arabic. It's Arabic. Arabic. Okay.
2: But there, there are other languages of other minorities or other ethnicities, you would say too. Mm. So, so, Romanian, Kurdish, Assyrian, or like they call it Ashori, and so on and so forth. You would, you will, you'll find also Armenian people back in the day, they came to us after the Armenian. Um, crisis war, let's say, from Turkey back to Syria, and they still don't speak their language too. Beside Arabic, of course. And Armenia
1: is, is also a very interesting country because there are so many Armenians across the United States uh, that are descendants from those Armenians that were around a Syria. For example, Kim, Ka- Kim Kardashian literally is a uh, oh. descendant from Armenia and so many other people. Yeah, the vocalist
0: of yeah. of Afdam as well, Serge Dakin.
1: It's weird, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they are kind
0: of escaping through the war, like this war with the Ottoman Empire. So they escaped to the USA during this time. That's why there are a lot of, you know,
2: columns
0: of Armenian people right there in the U.S.
1: And there was also a time that um Syria was uh, with Egypt and they were its own country. But I think it stopped very fast, right? Because it didn't and work true. out
2: no that's true you did you did some good research on that topic i would say
1: that one thing We go ahead go ahead no no i just because mo so that person who came to the podcast i remember him mentioning to me once yeah we were just that's smoking why. shisha together he was like oh there was a the time that syria and egypt were together but it didn't work out so we just stopped and i was like oh, oh
2: what exactly. go back <laughs> explain I think it's after the 50s, so 1950, after Syria got independent from France and years came by and the Arabic nation are starting to evolve after all the British colony and the French colonization. And Syria and Egypt stayed together for 13 years. But then we broke up technically because I think it's the politics. The leader of Egypt, or leader of both countries, it was called United Arab Nation, back yeah. then, and he, they didn't like him. Syria didn't like the situation that Egypt is taking. That's how they say it in the history mm-hmm. books that Egypt was taking most of the benefits, or like most of the stuff was shifted to Cairo and Egypt. So they divorce, disagree. divorce, getting divorce. divorced, they divorce, divorced.
0: <laughs> relationships, relationships. Yeah. No, for sure. But but still, I mean, um, there were a bunch of Egyptians right there in Portugal as well, living in together with the Syrians. And they were really, really kind with each other. You know, like I couldn't feel Mm -hmm. this war environment and kind of stuff. But they, they were actually very good friends. I mean, Syrians and Egyptians, they are actually very close to each other. I mean, the culture and the way of living, it's pretty similar, I guess.
2: Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I would say, as bar of many Syrians also would say the same, like out of this crisis and war, the, only, the most country would feel at home in is Egypt. Like the whole population, despite their like hard circumstances, the hard economy and any of these reasons which start racism, like behind racism or at least what it looks like. They didn't care about it. They were like hosting Syrians as their own, like their own people. And they still, we we have the same culture. We have the same jokes. And it's pretty similar, I would say. You are right in that.
1: Yeah. Well, something that I remember Mo mentioned was it's all just the government, to be honest. Because he told me, like, you go abroad, all of the Arabic people, they are so much together. Together. They, yeah. they all love each other. North Africans and both Middle Easterns they're like one, they're basically one. And they're always get along, mainly abroad, especially because it's always cool to meet another person who speaks your language and it's the same food as you. Even though the cultures can be a little bit different at the end, you're like, you're basically the same person. So he, he always told me, everyone is very unified. The only bad image that these countries get is basically from the government. Because when you go to Egypt, syrians get along with egyptians and egyptians get along with syrians so bro and also
0: the stereotypes i mean when we think about the arabic countries the whole stereotype that people created it, it is because of politics, politics you know and the government because all the wars and everything everything about the wars and the negative stuff right there in the arabic countries they are because of politics. So yeah, the whole stereotypes came from because of politics, you know, and people associate this with the religion, but there is nothing to do with religion, you know, they're all about the, the interests of the politicians.
2: I think that I, I totally agree that you just use religion as a tool sometimes, or they reuse ethnicity or differentiate, differentiators between population segment just to initiate a war, to initiate a conflict. And that's what, the unfortunately, let's say proxy war countries use utilize on. But technically the whole population, they are, as you say, they are the same. They have different cultures, of course, but we speak similar language or the same language with the different dialects. And it's, it's only politics, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And media, to be honest. And media. Uh, because, I mean, when people, Think about dangerous countries. The first ones that come to their mind: oh, the Middle East, North Africa, yeah. Central Africa. But if you actually search, instead of searching most dangerous countries, you actually search the right formula, which is higher, ta- t- um, criminality uh, rate. No, no Middle Eastern country is there. It's South Africa, Venezuela, Papua New. US. Guinea, uh, U.S. 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 Um, I think it's uh, Brazil. A, so i <laughs> still like, you know which one is there? Jamaica, Jamaica, yeah, which here. is very interesting, Jamaica. And then a lot of the Central American ones like Honduras, El Salvador, uh, a lot of the Caribbean island ones that are close to Venezuela.
0: Bro, it's not safe to travel into the Central America for you. I mean, Honduras and El Salvador Bro, Belize there all are the- civil wars going on there. It's Bu- crazy.
1: Guyana as well, next to yeah. Venezuela. I feel like Venezuela is the is the center point, and then it just like yeah, just goes. But
0: still, Venezuela. there are there are a lot of stereotypes around surrounded Venezuela as well. I mean, mm. I I gotta, say, I gotta say,
1: that's why we need to have that podcast. And yeah. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna tell you which person I actually won for the podcast. I hope she replies, but it's gonna be so funny if she actually says yes. But uh, but no, like um, no Middle Eastern countries there. But still, because of the the media from the U.S. with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's like people are like, oh, you go to these countries, you get bombed. There's mines everywhere. Uh, people will hold you hostage. You'll get in a in a video from ISIS. You know all those things. When it's like in reality, no, it's probably much safer to be in those countries than to be in a state in the U.S.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Korean.
2: That's true. At least for me, I would say so. Sometimes, yeah, it's like El Salvador. You mentioned El Salvador. I heard so many stories from there. Like, is way more aggression, more like inhumanity. I would say. Like, I heard people they cutting people. They are like doing a lot of mafia stuff, which we didn't have. Gangs. There are a lot
0: of gangs right there. Yeah, Yeah, and gangs. Mm -hmm. which
2: we didn't have in Syria. Like before the war, there was no gangs. Maybe some gangs on the borders to smuggle. That's normal. Every country Mm -hmm. has it. But like major gang groups, we never had that. It was like pretty safe to go out at 3 a.m. before the war, for example, even now in some areas.
1: Mm. I would say a lot of it comes from petty crime because like on that list, I didn't mention, but obviously South Africa is there. And I got to see a little bit of it. And there's a lot of petty crime, like uh, just dumb robberies. But then what happens is that someone tries to rob someone. The person tries to defend and then it's like a a knife fight and one ends up not actually surviving. So there goes murder charge and boom goes to the to the list (laughs) of criminality. But yeah, a lot of it just comes from petty crime, which goes so much different than the um, Central African countries where people might think that they're dangerous because of conflicts from the neighborhood countries. And those conflicts are generated because of the government. So at the end of the day, you, you're not in danger on the streets; you're in bro. danger it's of the system. Cycle. Quite literally. So, exactly. What, when was the, um, the last time that you were in uh, in Syria,
2: George? That was seven years ago.
1: Seven years ago. Seven. Wow. Mm. How was it
0: yeah great <laughs> homesick, right?
2: yeah, I would say homesick, pretty homesick uh how was the last time I was there, you would say mm. a lot of a lot of stuff changed, some changed to the better, some changed to the worse. a lot of friends also left the country, unfortunately, like studying everywhere, studying a lot of them again, studying in Germany medicine <laughs> somehow <laughs> uh, but I would say, yeah, the last time was it was a bit the situation was a bit worse than now i would say in in my area now now it got way better and now everything is safer and yeah my my parents still live there and there it's pretty good now mm.
1: okay. i'm actually a little bit uncultured on on the war of syria but what was the the main thing that started it and uh was it with the neighborhood countries or was it with another foreign country
2: uh that's that's a huge topic i wouldn't go into it now <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like it depends just to give you short um mm. let's say short uh, overview depends yeah, yeah, on yeah. You, whom you on whom you're asking is a different answer but for me it was all the time a proxy war f- because of like uh, foreign countries trying to take one piece of the cake then they utilize the population and the conflict in the population and you know, one thing led to another. Then now it's very, very complex scenario with so many worldwide power, like let's say power whales like Russia or US Whatever. playing there. So it's now you don't have. I would say Syrians don't have a lot of decision nowadays in their own country.
1: Mm. Because there's sad. there's countries with more profit that can just control the whole the whole country because of the money. Which yeah,
2: is- I would. Yeah, for example, like U.S. sent their Russia did during just... the war. What again?
0: Like Russia did during the war. I mean, Putin was, you know, giving war, uh, money and weapons to the to the rebels right there in Syria and kind of stuff. To the rebels, no. To the to the soldiers. To the, to the president.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And U.S. was like trying to get really? their way in. Of course, they yeah. want one piece of the cake. I mean, I'm speaking of the government now, not of the people, never of the people, Yeah, yeah, yeah of, of the course. governments. And I would say all of them now, they no, none of them want to leave because of the geopolitical situation in Syria. Again, mentioning that is connecting all these continents. It's in the heart of the Middle East. So I think that's one of the reasons they're fighting over it is about geo power who going to dominate in this area which is middle east hot topic since over 30 years by now i would say
1: mm. is it is it purely land or is it more towards oil in the no. in the whole industry oh is it... we are
2: not we are not even the top 50 producer of oil world oh, we okay. produce we have produced more olive oil than oil <laughs> really <laughs> yes oh my god it's amazing
1: oh wow okay so it's purely land but i guess most of the wars comes down to that this is just land taking like obviously with uh, israel and palestine it's just land 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 i want this exactly but i also want this so then it
0: generates the war which sucks exactly yeah. but no it's
2: minimized uh, go ahead
0: Now, nah, but, but you guys got, got another a lot of natural resources right there i mean i could see Mm -hmm. the all all those fields and kind of stuff there in syria and wow it's it's actually stunning i mean the views and all those things that you put on the earth itself the earth and then it grows right there and feels like it feels like brazil right there because everything you plant right here it grows and i feel like it's the same right there in syria i mean my friend it was always talking about it like we have the best food because we have the best land right here. So yeah, I don't know. Talk talk a bit more about it. Like we just started this food shop food topic right here.
2: I would say food is the most it's the most important thing in my country. <laughs> I mean you could you the people would say yeah it's risky. They know it's like the first thing they're to forget about Everything in life is foods, and food brings family together in my country yeah. to in Syria. So it's mostly, I think, the same in Brazil and in Portugal. Family is with together, not only on Sundays or in the like on the weekends, but most of the work days the people eat together. And as you said, the land is pretty rich, like the soil is pretty rich, and we have so much different little climates within our major climates. So on the sea is a little bit green. So you can have like some strawberries there, lemon. You go down a bit to the deserty kind of heat. You can have more of cucumber, melon, watermelons. And you go to the south, which is a mix of them. You would have perfect tomatoes, perfect cucumbers again, perfect olive trees. We have a ton of them all around the country. One example of me, my my family consists of four people, my parents, my brother, and me. And on a yearly basis, we buy 60 liters of, or 70 liters of olive oil. We consume sell Oh, mangoes.
0: wow. <laughs> That's huge.
2: But, but we are heavy on the, like, we don't use a lot of animal fat and other butter or so, but we were, we were super heavy on olive oil because it was all there. It was pretty cheap. You can go by yourself. And squeeze it in the factory. There is like a service. You just give them the olives. They squeeze it for you. Oh, no. And oh, that's
1: amazing.
2: Yeah. But I would say also to that, we are predominantly not vegetarian and vegan country too. So <laughs> anybody who would consider, surf, we have a lot of vegetarian varieties, but also when you go there, a lot of people who are not like, they're not actually they're vegetarian. Not vegan. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Which but is there's a lot of. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I, I was going to say, which is very different from Germany because Germany, like, v- vegan is a big I mean, thing. And you have so man. many restaurants that are purely vegan and purely veg- vegetarian. And they really care about um, their diets in terms of meat yeah. consumption.
2: That's but to be true. honest,
1: no. you, you go to an Arabic restaurant you want to eat eat meat that's just it like you you want the the platter of like very different styles of meat you just want everything put to you that has meat so ah it's an experience to be honest that was my favorite that's thing cool. favorite that's thing cool. about going to restaurants in south africa was literally first of all as you mentioned the environment like the the very family and cozy environment you have everyone is very uh next to each other because the tables are very low but they're very they don't have uh, things separating each other then the plates are all for everyone so everyone shares the plate so that's a a good way to also be a little bit more inviting and it's just overall experience it feels it feels good it feels like everyone is with each other communicating with each other no phones no nothing So that's like, for me, that's the Arabic culture. And it's something that we talk every day on this podcast. When we have someone from the Middle East and North Africa is how inviting and how welcoming their people really, really is.
2: You perfectly described it. I would say (laughs) I I wouldn't have even described it much better than you like it's about the food like even mobile phone my dad would throw my phone away <laughs> if i'm open it if i am open it on the dinner table dinner or like lunch table it's just for us to talk to socialize to see how it's going not like i don't know being separated like in germany having this meals everybody is eating by his own that's i find it sometimes sad also especially like for families that's mm. big part messing on like you spend most of the day at work you, the kids spend most of the day at school. What left? A couple of hours for homework and for TV watching and maybe one hour of talking with the kids or with the family. That's not much.
1: Yeah, it, it really misses a lot of family dynamic. And I saw a little bit of that when I was living in in Amsterdam. They really don't... Like my, my roommate told me he never hugged his parents. And I'm like, why do you mean he never hugged your parents? Jesus Christ. <laughs> because for they real? don't have that relationship like that intimate relationship connection like maybe obviously they probably love each other but they don't have that uh touchy you know more um as like south europe has or obviously the middle east has um so a lot of these scandinavian and central uh european countries they really miss that family dynamic and you really see it when you live there Especially,
0: yeah, I could, I could feel the same there in Poland. I mean, it is because they were not raised like this, you know. They were raised in different way. They were raised separated of their parents. I mean, this connection of this feeling these, you know, deep things and feelings for your parent, and yeah, all about the culture, all about the culture, mm. and I mean, in Portugal and in Spain as well. You, you guys you do guys have a lot of you know um culture from from the Middle East as well that's why mm. you know you have this warm of the people right there most than the middle um, I mean the Central Europe and,
1: oh yeah and like I could say the, the m- my my city so Oulad, it's full Arabic culture like the houses they' are Moroccan houses. Uh, Back in the day, which is kind of sad Because then the Brits took a little bit over Of the South of Portugal But back in the day, the culture was full on Arabic Like you'd have so many Muslims um, Living in there And now you barely see them Maybe like in um, In just restaurants and selling uh, The little shops But back in the day, so much Moroccan culture um, And full on Arabic And I'm very sad that he got lost But that came on because of the Modus, which is um, very interesting because I'm descended from Modus, which were the North Africans that went to populate the South of Spain and the South of Portugal, which is why I, I have a very deep love to the Arabic culture. And I wished I wish there was more to it still to this day. But um, but we still have at least the architecture and um, the urban legends. <laughs> as I but you say. can
0: still see the, the influences on also the names. I mean, Algarve is Arabic, you know, and I, you oh, know, yeah, starting with all so everything that starts with all, it means that it's from the Middle East. That's
2: yeah. true. That's true. Like I'll al it. It's there. Yeah. Like Al-Kamisa yeah. is Kamis in Arabic. Al-Mahsan is Warehouse, the same in Arabic. So because I learned some Spanish and it's, as you say, it's like, there's a lot of fruits between Arabic and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example.
1: No. Yeah. And, uh. But like, I would say maybe from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, like there's been so many resorts only for the British people, especially if you go from Faru to Sagres, Albufera, especially. It's completely like a British colony. And then you have these little things and then these little things start the to become beasts. bigger. <laughs> but still, I'm glad that from Faru to Villa de Antonio, so to Spain, all that area, which is where uh, Olhão is from or in, uh, that still is more towards Italians and French people, so it still has a little bit of the vibe that uh, I would say like Morocco and Argelia and Tunisia has. So I'm glad at least that that hasn't been dominated by the Brit set. <laughs> uh, we'll see in the future. Actually, just something a very interesting thing that I that I saw from Syria. You guys have the oldest library in the world, and when I saw pictures, I've noticed. Have you ever seen Avatar um the show?
2: Yeah.
1: Aang? The show?
2: No, the show not, I think. Uh, I remember it. I remember I remember like the, <laughs> the characters, but I the Airbender.
1: The I, I just fully remember an episode where they actually was about a, a very old library and it was in the desert and one of the characters mentioned uh it was descended from they didn't say Syria but they said uh these this place in this uh yeah. deserted world uh, which is where then I found out that it was actually in Syria where the oldest library was, and it was a whole episode about it, but um, but it was very. Oh, ah, you're to-
0: talking about Avatar the cartoon, right? Yes, the last airbender. Uh, exactly. exactly. All right, all right. Boy, all right. I'm not talking I, I about thought-
1: the blue guys.
0: Yeah, I thought, I thought that the guys. talking about the big, the big, boo. No, don't say fuck the name, bro. The <laughs> second one <laughs> no is coming. The second one is coming. No one
1: cares.
0: I love it. I love it. I love this movie, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I, like the cartoon as well. Oh,
1: it's the best.
2: It
0: still
1: holds think, up.
2: Yeah. I think yeah, we does. talked about this. You mentioned that in Croatia when you were talking about Egyptian methodology too. With Yu Gi Oh and Avatar. Yu Gi Oh. man.
1: I'm the yeah. biggest nerd, to be honest. I have so many references, and those are the biggest ones, probably. But
0: Yu Gi Oh is about the Egyptians, right? I mean, the, 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 I the gods, that. the Egyptian yeah. gods. Yeah, I do remember still, <laughs> but but I'm not that that nerd as as Guilherme, for sure. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I used to work in a company just uh, called Just Another Nerd, so that says everything. So that's just laid out there. Nerd. Uh, for, for sure but reason. is is the library still open or is it just ruins and you just go around the ruins
2: i never went personally there i saw the pictures i don't know at the moment but i think it's only monuments there it's not like actual library you will find like pieces out of the library in some of the museums in damascus but mm. that's it unfortunately we lost like same happened to the library in Iraq, one of the oldest two, if not the oldest two, one between Syria and Iraq it is all the time. And it's the same that got destroyed over the course of Mongolian uh, coming, mm. then the Romanian, then British come and stole some. Oh. All the countries stole some from, like, that's oh. normal. That's normal throughout the course of civilization. And yeah. unfortunately now we don't have the a lot of, but it was one of the main Libraries for like Greek uh, scientists back in the day also a lot of um, the same mathematicians were originated from Iraq like Farsi or Berchi by now farsi regions and Syria and all of them they were coming to Iraq and Syria to study because there had a lot of sources to about algebra about calculus and so on and so forth cool wow. and and
1: also the the one in uh, in um, Alexandria in Egypt also got burned down and it was exactly. uh, a very <laughs> it's all the libraries get burned down maybe yeah, just because they didn't want to sh- uh the other the um, the colonizers didn't want to share the knowledge with probably the other people so just like nah no one's
2: exactly. it's only for us
1: <laughs> no one's gonna exactly. get that because i've I, i've heard i still remember like some Egyptian friends of mine they're like no the, the library in alexandria was burned down not because of uh of someone just saying uh just Putting a cigarette there or something someone just put it
2: uh in uh <laughs> like oh my god i forgot the word in english so They they burn it down and they even took part of the books they throw everything in the river the river from the ink oh, as christ. i read in the history books the uh, ink mm. in the river you can see the color of the river changing just because of the ink oh jesus no. christ oh,
0: bro uh, why why are you like just burning libraries you know there are a I, lot of things for you know like rabble actors for doing during those things and they just attack libraries. Imagine those books nowadays. They would be like, uh, I, I don't know, as gold,
2: you know, probably. I think I know, maybe, uh, no, go, go, ahead. Go, 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 go George. I want to say maybe we could have known about the pyramids, maybe. Yeah, bro, for sure. For sure. so much. A lot of the things that we we know
1: are just basically rumors. If we had those books, maybe we'd get even more knowledge on some um historical facts that we probably don't know much about. but i I would say to your message wrong, they probably just burned the books because they it was hierarchy. It was basically kings and pharaohs. so they didn't want the the more um poor people
0: to get the knowledge to right? get the
1: knowledge like the yeah. the big ones. So that was probably one of the things. and maybe religion as well. Uh, Christianity when it comes and they say, nah, no Muslim is gonna get these books. <laughs> so just like uh...
2: even before that, even before that, even that the Romanian Empire, they were like taking everything, everything to to their like reserve, some some stuff still in Europe, you never know. I don't know. Mm. Like s- especially from the Vatican back in the day, like all the religions got originated from there, and Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, everything was. There and there, and there's a lot of original, like paper talking about religion, how this started, how this how the reputation of Christianity went so much out. None of that, maybe if we kept it, we could have known that. But maybe the Vatican or British, British government, or my government, or any other government just keeping these secrets, we never know.
1: We'll probably never, never know the those archives the Vatican yeah. archives yeah. my god exactly the secrets that exactly. they probably have Jesus
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so George I
0: just want to bring you the topic about your childhood I mean there are a lot of people that think that the childhood of the Middle East people are actually totally different to than the ones that we think and kind of stuff how was it to being growing up in Damascus how was it
2: uh, that, that you're right on that. It's it is different, but not totally different, of course. I would say it's a more conducted, more condensed city, more bigger city. So that's first thing you noticed, like after when you grown up there. So about growing up in in Syria, I would say yeah, first of all, first thing you would realize so many people there. So first thing you would get a lot of socializing as a kid there. Um, Family relationships are stronger. Um, as they're growing up, of course, there is more of stuff which is tougher for a kid coming from, for example, from the European Union. We have a different, the initial requirement for living, it's a bit different. So we don't have it to the luxurious part, let's say. Some bars. each city, that's the problem with Syria. Each city has a different culture, different environment, different sometimes standard of living. And Damascus has all of them, so I could go walk you from the poorest areas to the most rich areas. So you will find all of kind of living, you will find the same in Europe people having the best life, going to bars, going to parties, having great life, great work, great family. But also, you will find these list. I don't want to say ghettos, but like unregulated housing, like the same in Brazil around Rio, the same, like,
0: yeah, yeah. same
2: type of these houses you'd find them around Damascus. And I lived somehow slams, right? The slams exactly. And I lived in the middle between the big city and the slams, and I could Mm -hmm. see like on a daily basis how much is the difference between you go there and there's all this nice high life restaurants, universities, but you can come also and see the sad part of it. But even in the sad part of it, you all the time hearing people making jokes, we say jokes about dark humor from even at a young age, we say yeah. so many jokes, which is even not politically correct nowadays. <laughs> they shouldn't be said out public. We even make fun of ourselves, of our bane, let's say, like any bad thing happening throughout um, the war, even before the war about death, not about death, we make joke of it to make it easier to accept it for us, I would say. And that thing resonated for me from the childhood till now, I would say.
1: Mm, for sure and that's something that i i see so george from impulsive he talks and makes a lot of jokes from uh middle east just to like for him that's very funny but for the people that are around them they're like wait that's kind of weird but he's yeah. like no like listen i'm i'm from a uh, syria and i'm from the middle east and this is what we joke around in in those places and it's like what brings us joy and what brings us this um different type of humor that we have so exactly. definitely, yeah.
0: Or George, is it true that when you call a woman like you want to say that she's nice looking and kind of stuff, you call her a latus, like Hassan?
2: <laughs> I, yeah, we, we have love. So one thing about Arabic, a lot of synonyms. We have a ton of synonyms. I myself remember like seven synonyms for the word love by itself. So, and you're right. The the word lotus, jasmine. Any kind of this stuff, we utilize it in our, like, let's say, game with girls. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My friend, one was passing by a nice looking girl, he was always saying, Hassan, Hassan,
2: <laughs> all the
0: time, all the time, which means lattice, <laughs> right?
2: exactly yeah uh. which is cheesy which is cheesy to both most of the people here i would say most of the girls here would find it super cheesy like it's not it's no go your friend zoned right away
1: <laughs> but maybe it worked on the portuguese girls so who knows
2: yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. exotic
0: <laughs> exotic yeah oh i mean really good and tasty lattes let's get it all right <laughs> Should we end it, Joel? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we are ready to do the last question that we do every single episode before finishing it. And Guilherme, feel free. All right. So, George, we always finish with the big, big
1: question. Uh, what is the thing that makes you the most proud about being from Syria? So you're in Germany. Whenever you're going abroad. Exactly. You meet someone, you say for, you're from Syria. What is the thing that follows that exact thing for people to kind of understand? Wow, that's a really great country, and it's nice that you have passion for this exact thing.
2: Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I need a <laughs> moment, I need a moment to think about it. No worries, everybody. Time.
1: We got
0: everybody. Time. Everybody <laughs> had, has the same, you know, shocking re- reaction.
2: I would, I would say. Uh, the first thing came to my mind is how resilient are the people of my country are. Like despite so many crises or before crises coming to life, they were so resilient. There's no giving up in, in them. Even if they're having their families having crisis, the country is not going good. They still smile. They still hospitable to the people. They still welcoming. That's one part. And one part about Syria myself is my, my reason why I love my country is, I think, the diversity. A lot of people miscon- like mis, um, have the misconception about Syria that is yeah. one single culture, one ethnicity, one language, which is Arabic, Muslim, and all the people are like that. That's not true. Even within each religion and ethnicity, there is multiple layers and multiple dialects and accents and languages, and all of that were living in a harmony, at least before all the things went south. That was great to have, I would say. Even like even in European countries, sometimes this diversity, you wouldn't have it. And what spe- Syria is a special Arabic country, I would say. special Really a special Arabic country. Having all these elements from the Arabic countries alongside with the Mediterranean feeling, with the South European feeling, all mixed together
1: in one country, I would say. No, for and sure. also
0: the landscapes and how beautiful the country it is, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Syria is for real, very special, very special country.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's George, why Ryan wants to go visit the country. <laughs> From yeah. North yeah. <laughs> no, and
0: he's not I mean, a, He's not alone. I mean, I want to. 100%. It's definitely on my bucket list. Definitely on my bucket list. Oh, for sure. George, thank you so much for being part of the podcast and accepting the invitation. And you were an amazing guest for us. You talk a lot of good stuff about your country, about your people, about the Arabic culture. And it was amazing to share with our listeners.
2: Thank you for both of you. Thank you for having me. And thank for the people who are listening and want to get to know a bit about Syria, too. Guilherme,
0: <laughs> sure. as well. Thank you so much for being with me. One more
1: episode. 100% thank you guys for staying until the end of the podcast. And follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, everything on podcast WWP and follow us on our listening platforms, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, same handle. And I'll, we will see you next week with a brand new Sweet. country.
0: Bye-bye, guys. Take it Bye. easy.